Well, hello, and welcome to Jay Flaunts' Ignorance, episode uh, 11, or 12, or 13, or something. I'm not very good at this podcasting thing, so I just kind of wing it every time. I'm sitting here with Frank Tabor, uh, who has had amazing adventure motor- uh, adventures on motorcycles, riding from Nebraska all the way up to Alaska, all the way down to the tip of South America. Patagonia, is it called? Yes. Is that right? Yep. All the way back sure. to Nebraska, and it just blew my mind that someone that I was in a room with had done this multiple times. And because this is one of the things that has been on my theoretical bucket list of like, you know, my, my adventure seeking is a mild sort of adventure seeking. (laughs) And then I get on a dirt bike and there's plenty of adventure to be had on a dirt bike. And so for people to go all the way to Alaska or the tip of South America just amazes me. And I just wanted to talk to you about that a little bit. Thank you so much for uh, for agreeing to speak with me. Well, Jay, it's flattering that you would think that going to Alaska or even through most of South America is dangerous or adventuresome, but it's really not. Um, Prudhoe Bay, the name of the town, the U.S. town at the top of Prudhoe Bay is Dead Horse, Dead Horse, Alaska. It has its own zip code, and it's basically um, a community of uh, itinerant, uh, well uh, oil well workers, but there are no communities with churches and uh, and people who live there permanently. It's four thousand miles from Omaha to there, right to the button. Four thousand miles to dead to dead horse. Mm-hmm. Is it concrete all the way to dead horse? Uh, no, it is concrete to about forty miles north of Fairbanks. I think at the time that I did this, which was I think two thousand year two thousand in June, the pavement ended at the Yukon River. There has always been talk about. Uh, moving north a little bit each year, but you run into the permafrost issue, and pavement doesn't seem to last too long. There is a stretch of maybe 20 kilometers, not too far from Dead Horse, that is paved, and it was in good shape. I don't know how long it had been there, and it was a test strip. It also could have been a, a temporary landing strip because the whole road, which is the road that goes from Fairbanks to Prudhoe Bay, it's called the haul road because all the trucks haul all the stuff on this road. Uh, it's all gravel after you leave the Yukon, and that road becomes temporary landing strips. Uh, there are, I think, 11 pump stations between Prudhoe and Fairbanks. There may be 30-some pump stations on the Aliska pipeline. So the, so the gravel road, they land bush planes? Yes. On the road? Yes. Okay. So they'll, they'll have actually lights that stop you and... Plane lands and pulls out of the way, and then you continue. Oh, okay. And, <laughs> and this I, happened on your... On well, your... Uh, yes. Yeah, in fact, there was constant surveillance of the uh, rivers and creeks that ran along the road, which also ran along the pipeline. So, you know, I've always had an adverse feeling towards extreme environmentalists because they don't know what they're talking about. That company monitors that pipeline 24-7. There were even pipes, little pipes that looked like about three-eighths inch diameter pipes that would go down this creek, all the way down, maybe a 100 feet to the creek, and they would take samples. A truck would come by and take samples every day to make sure there was no pollution in that water. Okay. So it was pretty well monitored. So the the Alaska pipeline is a big... It's called the Aliska pipeline. Aliska. And I, I think it's bigger than that. It used to be round, but they put an oval shell on it because there were rumors that people were trying to cause oil leaks and shooting at it. Really? So the the covering now is elliptical, 
which deflects bullets. It, it's a bulletproof shell, or it I don't just know, hopefully I, I, yeah. stops idiots that are driving by? Yeah, that was the rumor we'd heard. Yeah. At any rate, it's 4,000 miles there. There's about 450 miles of gravel once you get north of the Yukon River. There are, uh, well, there's at least one serious place to stop, and that's called Coldfoot. And that is a truck stop with a restaurant. There's a hotel there, and there are campgrounds. Now, they, because of the permafrost, they can't really put anything on foundations. So everything sits on, on ties, railroad ties and, and drums and so on. And the hotel was basically, it appeared to me to be basically, uh, mobile homes that were used while they were working on the pipeline. They were on skis. So a big machine would just pull it along. They'd build a part of the pipeline, pull the, the uh, hotel behind it, and they just keep moving along uh, north. Uh, some of them were left in that Coldfoot area, and they connected them together, and they are a hotel. And that was the same thing that happened in uh, the top, at the top of the uh, road in Dead Horse. Uh, there was the Caribou Hotel, and I don't remember the second one, but the one we stayed at was basically six or seven uh, big modular or mobile homes that were attached and you'd go up a foot, and then you'd walk, you know, 100 yards, and then you'd walk down a foot, and they would be off kilt a little bit. But they were well insulated, and that became housing for visitors. So, so when you're in Nebraska, and you're like, all right, we're going to ride to Dead Horse, and it's 4,000 miles from Nebraska to Dead Horse, or from the Canadian? From Omaha. Or from Omaha, okay. Mm-hmm. So it's not that far, Jay. So how, yeah, <laughs> it sounds, I'll, I'll ride in the woods for like 40 miles, and I'll be so tired <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that kind of writing, but yeah. <laughs> but most of this is paved. Sure. I mean, sure. even the uh, Alaska Canadian pipeline, uh, pipeline, the Alaska Canadian Highway mm-hmm. used to be called the Elkan, which goes from Dawson Creek up to Toke, um, 1500 mile road. It's paved, and now there might be some busted up pavement where they're working on it, but you could probably do that on a street bike. In fact, I did see full size touring bikes, even on the gravel, going up to Coldfoot. So on the gravel, those aren't good tires, right? Like road tires are a bad idea on gravel if you're going... Yeah, especially if they had just uh, dressed the road. The dressing the road is a constant battle They're all because of the permafrost. What does that mean, dressing the road? Uh, they are constantly pulling gravel out of the creeks, putting them in dump trucks, and then going up to a section of road, open the tailgate and drive ahead, mm-hmm. and lay down a three or four inch deep bed on top of the surface. Now, until the semis smush that down, yeah. you're on a motorcycle. Yeah. You kind of just, you got to be careful. That sounds like a nightmare. So, I mean, yeah, well, usually what you do is you just pull over and wait. Let yeah. some trucks, and then you follow their tire, uh, their tire pass. Yeah. Holy smokes. And then sometimes you can go up there, and it's it's been dry, and they're all smushed down, and it's almost riding like hard pack. So, so how many days do you schedule from Omaha to Dead Horse? You can go about 400 miles a day on a uh, on my KLR 650. 400-mile days weren't hard. Uh, when you camp, it takes longer. you got to find a place. you got to set up camp. Uh, usually you got an eye out for where the last food place was. If you're not carrying food, that's a lot of weight, carrying food and water. So you always try to camp somewhere near um, a village or a truck stop or some area that has uh, supplies. You'll have your... You'll have like a schedule set. No. No? No, because you can't ever keep it. Really? What if you get a flat tire? Oh, I don't know. I don't know anything about it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, adventures start when uh, your plans fail. 
<laughs> so the less plans you have, probably less adventure you have. Yeah. But you could, we usually did about 250 to 400 mile days. Planning to camp or planning to stay and that, somewhere? That's how. That's what we figured because I'm not unemployed. Mm-hmm. I didn't lose a business. I wasn't divorced. I didn't have a broken relationship, which a lot of these adventure tours seem to be. Mm-hmm. I was just an old guy that said, I want to do this. And my wife said, go ahead. Yeah. And I had a used KLR that didn't cost much, and I didn't care if I lost it or not. Yeah. And it never failed me for one minute. Yeah, yeah. So it's 8,000 miles round trip. Right. But coming back. Who were you with? Uh, Dale Thornton. He was my boss at CBS Home. Yeah. And my son, Zachary, who by coincidence lives in Anchorage, Alaska right now in the Army. Really? Yes. And his bo- he's older than his commanding officers. But on his Facebook, he can show them all the times he'd ridden. Uh, all the time, but the time we rode up there and, uh, his experiences crashing his bike on that road, the gravel road on the, gravel. On the hall. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We started out with a beautiful little bike and then the windshield left and then the tour trunk broke off and then the foot peg came off. See, Frank, everything about this screams adventure to me. So the fact that you think it's not adventurous <laughs> just blows my mind, but that's got to be an amazing father son experience. Was. It was. Right? You know, I pulled up. I'm thinking I've got like, 35, 40 years of experience. How can my kid be, be ahead of me? Yeah. And I've got the knobby tires. Yeah. I've got this clumsy <laughs> D- KLR650, and he's on a 500 shaft drive with street tires. He did not want dirt bike tires. He didn't want any dirt bike accoutrements. On the, on the gravel. Yeah. Really? Because he didn't know. Yeah. But he insisted. So did he, he flew. his mind? Well, no. Well, too late then because you're already there. <laughs> yeah. But I come up to, the, I come up to this uh, area, and I see this, my son, <laughs> On the side of the road. At that point, oh, the no. road had been built up about four feet above the the ground. So that's how high, over the years, keep putting keeping gravel. to put gravel on. It has raised it. Uh, anyway, by side. Crash or he oh, he crashed. Over, he, oh, he crashed. Yeah. Okay. Food all over the place. His clothing tore up. Uh, but we were all wearing leathers at that time. We yeah. didn't have textiles. Uh, he was unconscious, but oh, I, I, I never really felt sick. There was no blood. When you're wearing good gear, there's no blood. Yeah. And uh, he seemed like he had all his body parts okay, and they were in the right place. Yeah, yeah. So I woke him up, and uh, he was groggy for a little while. <laughs> and, you know, we salvaged what food we could by putting him on my bike and Dale's bike. And then he fell like two or three more times and broke off a cast iron foot peg. Now, if you understand cast iron, you yeah. can't just weld that on the spot. Yeah. Cast iron takes a special process. So we rode all the way up to, uh, the remaining 250 miles or so up to, um, cold, uh, to Dead Horse. So Got a hotel. It's okay to keep going after. Hey, you, what choice do you have? Well, I don't know. You don't have a choice. Are there, is there traffic up there? Like if you need. Yes, a, there's trucks and stuff, but they're not going to stop for you. They're not? No. In a medical emergency, uh, you can't flag them down? Nothing? No, they're not allowed to pick you up. They're not allowed to? No, they could be hijacked. Uh, and they've got expensive well, well, well. Uh, tools and parts. Yeah. Well, they say, and all the signs say, no hitchhiking. You know, you will not be picked up because it's it's a well drilling community. It's not a, a residential community up there. Uh, it's all business. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, like we get up there. I ask the guy at the uh, hotel, the caribou, who's uh, where can I find a welder? She said, well, they're all over the place, but they're dedicated. Only to wells, right, to, sure. the, to the well drilling. But he said, there's a guy over here, and it was like a three initials, like SRC or something. He said, you give the guy a try. His name is Chris. He's like a nice guy. 
So I went over there with the part. I took the foot peg bracket off the bike, and I had the foot peg. And I said, Chris, I was told that you could fix this. And he looked at it, and he said, it's cast. Well, on his wall, instead of like kitchen cabinets, he must have had 150 different kinds of welding rod. And he goes up, uh, not this one, this will do. He pulls out the rod, he strips, he, he grinds down everything, and he welds my son's foot peg. Mm. Okay, so now it looks perfect. He even spray paints it so it looks perfect. I said, well, Chris, what do I owe you? You just saved our butt because we got 4,000 more miles to go. <laughs> yeah. He says, uh, just get out of here. And I said, well, no, you, you understand. I owe you. He says, my boss walks in that front door. You're going to owe us two-hour minimum, $200 an hour. Uh-huh. I said, bye, Chris. <laughs> Yeah, nice. Thank you. Thank you. So you can weld. I don't know anything about metallurgy. You can weld cast iron. It works. Not every welder can. Yeah. But he did. He did. Yeah. Yeah. Did a perfect job. Wow. Because they have to be able to weld everything up there. You know, if a a drill out there in the bay breaks down, they just can't stop production. They got to fix that thing right away. Yeah. Now to get back to the do not uh, pick up um, hitchhikers. I'm walking back to the caribou with my hand. I'm just in my tool in my or part in my hand. I'm so happy. Guy pulls over, throws open a door, and I could see that it's a well driller company. He says, "Get in." I said, no, "I appreciate that, but I've only got a couple blocks to walk, and I don't want you to get in trouble." He said, "Well, we break that law when there's a bear in town." Wait, wait which law? The the hitchhiker. The, the, the no hitchhiker. Okay, yeah. I said, "Well, I don't see anything." He said, "Take my word for it. There's a brown bear in town." Yeah. So I get in. <laughs> <laughs> and I thanked him a lot. He takes me to the caribou. And everybody in the hotel, this is funny. Here we are. We busted our keister to get up there. And who are we with? A bunch of octogenarians that had taken a cruise ship to to um, Anchorage. And then they took an airplane up here to, um, to Dead Horse. So here are these old people, yeah. 60, 70, 80 years old. And all looking out the back window at this bear rummaging through a dumpster. And he was a big bear. He's probably like eight, ten, about ten feet tall. He was not a black bear. Black bears are like little babies. Big bear. What did cruise liner people, what were they motivated to see in Dead Horse? I have no idea. Okay. Because <laughs> it's not, and then I they, mean, Alaska's beautiful, but Dead Horse is not that, no, very little bit's beautiful. Very little of Alaska yeah. is beautiful? You get tired of the mountains. I mean, you, oh. you look at the mountains all day long. Trees all day long. Show me something else. You get sick of it. Uh, bragging rights. <laughs> oh, it's a, it's a I climbed Everest kind of thing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, we encountered some uh, Japanese college students who, sitting in their student union in Tokyo, I'm sure, started thinking, "What's the craziest thing we can do?" Uh, well, let's just pull a rickshaw from Vancouver to uh, Dead Horse. We encountered young Japanese guys pulling a rickshaw with all their gear in it. They made like 8, 10, 12 miles a day on this gravel. Seriously. So here we think we're tough. There's a 16 or 18-year-old little kid that weighs 130 pounds. He's tough. One guy doing one rickshaw or a group of them? No, no. There's like two or three guys. Doing two or three rickshaws or taking turns? No. uh, Each pulling their own rickshaw. Each pulling their own rickshaw. And we encounter people on bicycles doing the same thing. On gravel. On gravel. And again, there was, when you leave Fairbanks, you get to the Yukon River, there is a cafe there. Sometimes it's open, sometimes it's not. You go a little further north, you have a campground called the Arctic Circle Campground. Mm -hmm. But there's no, there are no source, uh, supplies there, there's nothing to do. You have to go another 
hour or two, and then you're at Cold Foot, mm-hmm. and there you can buy food, and you can either peg a tent in their parking lot, which is on permafrost, or you can rent one of their $120 a night storage container type rooms. Yeah. Uh, and then after that, there's, there's Kingman or there's a couple of places that hunters uh, stage from mm. during the hunting season. Yeah. But they weren't really, and I got, there's a story about that too. Yeah. What is it? <laughs> the next year, a bunch of us, seven of us from Omaha, we decided we're going to go to Belize and we're going to go to Guatemala and visit Tikal, the Mayan ruins in Tikal. Yeah. So we go down through the eastern side of Mexico, Tres Hermanos. We go into um, Guatemala, uh, yes, uh, to, uh, to Belize. We go into Belize, mm. and we stay at this Belize Hilton because it's the only place we could find, but it was fairly priced. We put three guys in a room. It was like 50 bucks a person. And in the morning, we're having a breakfast, and there's seven of us talking, and there's a guy like two tables over, and he, he slides his chair over, and he says, excuse me. He says, I just heard that you guys went up to um, to Fairbank, uh, to uh, Dead Horse. He said, yeah, we did that last year. Mm-hmm. He said, well, do you remember, and I think it's Kingman or Kingman's Corner. I, I'd have to look it up. I said, yeah, th- you know, that was one of the places, but we didn't stop there because we didn't see any businesses there. He said, no, there's no businesses there, but there are stage, there are uh, hunters that have cabins there. Mm-hmm. And he says, I have one of them. He says, I have the first one on the turnoff. And he said, if you ever go that way again, if you look in such and such a place, that's where the key is at. And all I ask is that you leave it clean. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. You know, what? Here we are down in the jungle <laughs> right. talking to a guy who's got a cabin up in the permafrost. Did you ride your bikes down to Belize? Or We're motorcycles. Belize? We're motorcycles, yeah. yeah. Sure. Wow. Man. Yeah. <laughs> so so roughly world. how many days is it to Dead Horse? Like if you're going to leave Nebraska and go to Dead Horse. I'd figure 12 days, 10 days of riding. Two days for screw-ups, uh, taking a break, yeah. uh, because road fatigue sure. starts entering about the third or fourth day. Sure. So you, got, you you don't necessarily not ride a day, but you might only ride 200-mile days. And you want to do this in the dead of summer, right? The, the hottest possible days? Uh, the ice pack kind of leaves um, cold foot in May, starts coming back late August. Okay. So the ice pack starts moving in again at the end of August. So you probably want to do that mid-May through August. Oh, okay. But at that point, it's clear. You're not, there's no ice that you're riding on. Probably not. No, no. Not unless you go up into the mountains. And yeah. the, the, the whole road goes through the Brooks Range. But the Brooks Range, it's a mountain range, but it's not a tall mountain range. So like on, I can't remember, TLC or something on, on cable, they have these ice road truckers shows and all these things that are going to all these. Yep. Uh, and then all these shows about all the bush pilots that are flying in and out of there all winter long. Yep. Um, are the ice road truckers, is that the same, or is that farther north or where I can break out a map? I can tell you right where they're at because I was there too. Yeah, go ahead. They, they start from Inuvik, which is in the Northwest Territory in Canada. Okay. Because once you get to Dead Horse, actually, you can go to Dead Horse anytime day uh, of the summer, winter, because when it's plowed, that stuff is hard as a rock. I mean, that's the best time to travel. On, Unless you've got hazardous uh, cargo, you mean on like oh on, on ice screws for motorcycles? No, mean? for no, no uh, motorcycles would be pretty damn cold. Yeah, for cars and trucks. But the ice road truckers, uh, 
well, I've never watched it thoroughly, but I've been told that they start at Inuvik, and uh, they go up to the Alaskan or the, uh, the um, Eskimo villages that are north of there, right on up to the Beaufort Sea. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, here's a map. Which, so this is a podcast, and I'm <laughs> so we can't spend a lot of time staring at maps. Okay, if you want to see, see where Inuvik would be, here's Dawson. There's a road that comes here. Here you go. Plain is a truck stop where we can camp. Mm-hmm. Here's an Eskimo village, an Eskimo village, and here's Inuvik. And here's where the road stops. But you can take, once the road is frozen in January, the Canadian government comes up and does soundings to make sh- and drillings to make sure that the ice is thick enough. And they use a GPS and they clean out a road. And you can go up to these villages. Where's Dead Horse? Is Dead Horse up there? Oh, no. Somewhere? That's Dead Horse is over oh, here Alaska. In, in Alaska. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Oh, so it's farther north even of that, though. That's Barrow, Prudhoe <laughs> Bay. Dead Horse would be at Prudhoe Bay. Wow. You're basically going along this, this mm. water through the uh, Brooks Range. So did your son feel okay after yeah. he sat oh, yeah. for a couple Oh, yeah. Hours? Well, he took a hot shower. Yeah. Filled him full of ibuprofen. Yeah. And uh, we got up and rode out the next day. Yeah. Wow. Were you? Did you camp at all on... On your, did you take tents? We camped the whole time except for that night. Except for that night. Because he needed it. And we were all tired at that point. Sure. And when you get up there, there are gas sources, but there's no gas stations. So when you get up there, like to Prudhoe Bay, for example, you better have a couple of credit cards because the one may not work. Right. And when you get to the end of the road, you have to make a right turn. At least this was several years ago. And you had to go about a mile or two to a, a gas pump. And you put your, your card in and you uh, had to put a an inflated tank or a, or a pan under your bike in case you overflowed the, the fuel. Mm. So it's voluntary. Is this an unmanned? Unmanned, yes. Pump in the middle of nowhere. In the middle of nowhere. And there's a yeah. couple of those. So and you don't buy premium. You know, it's not like you get a choice. But you don't get ethanol either. So what is your range on the KLR? Like did KLRs you- are wonderful. Yeah. Big gas tanks, 315 miles. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, my road bike gets like 110. Yeah. And that's about it. <laughs> yeah. There are better bikes than KLRs. Really? For this or that, but not for uh, uh, adventure touring. Right. Big, big, KLRs. big, big gas tanks. Yeah. Adequate suspension, adequate power, uh, and just iron anvil type of reliability. Yeah. Did you have a bunch of spare parts for the motorcycles? Or no, not for that. Going south, anything? going to South America, down to Tierra del Fuego. Yeah, I did carry a full set of chain and sprockets. So just just to Alaska, do you have a bunch of medical supplies? I always carry a, full, a first aid kit that I build for motorcycling. It has big bandages yeah. uh, and uh, spray-on skin. So that you can, you know, if you have road rash. But if you're wearing the gear, you don't get road rash. Yeah. What you do is you end up breaking parts off your body. So you wear armor, body armor in your coats and pants, knees, elbows, shoulders, back, hips. Uh, and you're not going that fast, Jay. It's not like you're on the interstate going 80 miles an hour. And temperature-wise, it's not that cold in the summer? I mean, it's comfortable riding without too much. Gear. Yeah, the rain, though. It was, sometimes you might get three, four days of solid rain. So rain gear is really important. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen your gear. You have actual gear. I have nothing. 
You have had to tell. We've we've seen guys that had you know the big garbage bags, the industrial grade yeah. garbage bags, because their gear was fancy, but it wasn't and real. Your, your your pants zip to your or your jacket zips to your pants. I don't do that. Gear. You don't do that. I don't do that. But oh, there are okay. a lot of guys that use the um, the gear that's made in Duluth. Um, I can't remember the name of it. It's one piece. Yeah, I don't like it. It's too hard to get in and out of. Oh, okay. But that, that's probably the best you can wear. The idea is it's safer when you fall. Because right? your jacket doesn't pull up on you. Right. That's right. That's the idea. Okay. Mm-hmm. Huh. Cool. So 12 days up, and you were roughly on the schedule you thought you were going to be on, probably, to Dead Evers, and then 12 days back, and that... No, it wasn't 12 days back. It was uh, 10 days back, because what we did is we rode to Skagway. We went to Whitehorse, and then Skagway, and then we took the ferry boat from Skagway uh, down to Prince George. Prince Rupert. Then we, we rode from Prince Rupert over to Prince George. So are these a series of islands or something? No, or Prince right Rupert right? is a coast right below uh, Juneau. So if you find the Alaska coastline, mm-hmm. you know, this is all Alaska here, right? Yeah. I, but yeah. you can't get there except by boat or air. So here we went to Skagway. Did you see that? Uh-huh. Yeah. And then we, and incidentally, if you were on a cruise ship, you'd only be on 80 miles of open ocean. From Vancouver to Skagway or Haines. They go through all these little islands. That's correct. Yeah. So we we ended up at Prince Rupert. You see that right there? Mm-hmm. Is Was the idea just to bury the route so you had different scenery? Yeah, you know, trains, planes, and automobiles. So yeah. this way we got to take a boat and we get to rest for a day and a half. Yeah. Oh, we, you were on the ferry for a day and a half? Yeah, we didn't rent a room, but we could peg our tent on the deck. So we oh. just pegged our tent and rolled out our sleeping bags and thermorests and slept on the deck. So were you the only motorcycles they had seen? No, no, no. No, tons no, of no, no, no. That's why you don't write a book about it, because every Tom, Dick, and Harry with a bike's done it and is doing it. <laughs> I buy books about it. <laughs> so were there other bikes on yeah. the ferry with you? Yeah. I mean, we didn't pal around together or anything, but oh. yeah. Yeah, there were bikers. There wasn't a communal brotherhood of... Uh, Two wheeled. Well, do, do, do Ford uh, <laughs> do Ford Escort drivers all get together? I, mean, <laughs> no, no. I don't know. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. We did encounter that camaraderie on a ferry. It was across the um, Straits of Magellan hmm. in South America, where we kind of well, we kind of had to keep our bikes from rolling around because it was pretty rough. Yeah. Okay. So now let's switch. So at least when you're going to Alaska, right? It's all English speaking. And the weather, you're, you're worried about rain, but you pretty much know the temperature. You're not worried about rain because you're prepared for it. Yeah. And when well, you're, I've never even ridden in the rain. When, you're, when you've got windproof and waterproof gear, you, st- you tend to stay warmer. So it's mm. part of the layering. Even when it's not raining out, you might wear your rain gear just to stay warm. Mm. Yeah. Did, did your son have, I mean, you've got a lot of riding experiences. Did he have a lot of riding experiences? No, he didn't. No, that was his first ride. He hadn't been on a motorcycle? He had, but... Oh. Yeah, you know, he'd had, but he'd never been on anything past uh, Valley, Nebraska. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's a big leap. Yeah, <laughs> he did well. He Alaska. did well. That's amazing. And I've never ridden in the rain in any ser- like any serious conditions. I've never, you know, not intentionally. I've been stuck in the rain a few times, but I don't. I mean, I ride all summer long, but you know, not in any serious weather. So, so going to Alaska is one thing, and then. How did you decide that you were going to ride to the tip of South America? How did that come up? Back in the 90s, I read a book that was written by Danny Liska, a Nebraska kid, 
who rode his BMW R69S from O'Neill. That's where he had a ranch. I yeah. think he's a Czech, a Czechoslovakian kid. Uh, he bought a motorcycle and he rode up to Fairbanks. There was no Hall Road at that time. Mm. Uh, and the Elkan was just a big muddy trough. This guy was tough. So he's he got off roading. He was basically, yeah. To- so he got there and back, and then he decided uh, to go south. And I, I thought his adventures through Central America and South America were just incredible. And then I read the pan, a book called The Pan-American Highway, yeah. which is basically interconnected roads all the way from Alaska to uh, the tip of South America. Yeah, It runs along the west side, not along the east side. <clears throat> and then I read several books by Helge Pedersen, uh, Dr. Greg Frazier, and I thought, shit, I can do all this stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's so yeah. special. I read these books and I'm like, this is suffering and misery for day after day after day. I mean, some, like, like reading, reading this book here, I, I, so, well, so here's my story of, I was like, oh wow, you can actually ride to the tip of South America. And I called my buddy who does these iron butt things, you know, on concrete. And I was like, oh, hey, not this year, but, you know, could I talk you into sometime in the next five years or whatever doing a bucket list and, you know, riding into at least Mexico mm-hmm. and see how it goes? And he's like, no. And I'm like, why not? And he's like, well, have you read this book, uh, Two Wheels Through Terror, The Diary of a South American Motorcycle Odyssey by yeah. Glenn Hegstead? And I said, no, I haven't read that. And he's like, you should buy that. And so I bought it and I read it and it convinced me that I would never do this. <laughs> take, take it with a grain of salt. It's entertainment. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you so, notice he is writing a KLR. You're right. Yeah. All of, yeah, the, 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 I'm reading page after page after page and then he, he has a whole, uh, he, he's abducted and held hostage and all of these other things in the, in the, in the book. But even short of that, just the misery of some of the weather conditions he hit and some of the, the, I'm like, oh man, this does not sound like eight hours of fun in Iowa, you know? <laughs> And, you know, I read part of this because people, you know, always tendered this to me after I got yeah. back. I looked at that and I thought, shit, I don't remember any of that crap. Yeah. I had a great trip. <laughs> Wonderful people. I read this book and I told my, my friend Ryan, shout out to Ryan. I'm like, oh, Ryan, oh, no, you're right. I'll never do this. And then I'm hanging out with my friend Chris and he's like, oh, yeah, Frank's done that a bunch of times. And I'm like, what? What are you talking about? And you, you were in the room over at Chris's house. So I, I, I'm just amazed that uh, that this is... Something that, you know, people actually do, you know. So what convinced you to actually go? What year did you go for the, the first time you've been down? 2000 and 2000 is when we went up to, um, Peru Bay and back. And yeah. then of course you get back in June, late, Ju- late June, early July. Yeah. You got to wait for the seasons to change. Mm. So we had to wait till November to head south. You're doing back to back basically. Mm-hmm. Trips to yeah. Alaska and Patagonia. Yeah. <laughs> Patagonia is, is, a, is a section of South America. I went through a part of Patagonia. Uh, I didn't have the time or the money to do it the way I wanted to. Um, I would love to go back. So what convinced you to to do it? Like, did, had you always had in your mind this, this bucket list challenge of both Alaska and South America? Or no, the, you, we're sitting around Alaska one time first. having a beer yeah. saying, what's the longest road in the world? Yeah. It's the Pan American Highway. Is it? Yeah. Oh, I don't, I didn't know that. Yeah. If you go to the tip of South Africa, you're way north of, uh, of, uh, Ushuaia. Mm. 
So it's the longest route. Even if you went from uh, Eastern Europe, uh, from um, Norway or, or even Ireland to uh, through Siberia, it's not as long. It's not as long. Yeah. I'll be darned. So, so did you know you wanted to bite off both of these things from the... Yeah. You've yeah. known for years that since you were reading these books years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so who did you talk in? Who, how do you approach your friends and say, hey, let's do this? Hey, Dale, you want to go? Yeah. Same guy? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and he so, said, I said, you want to you look at the map? Nope. What? He didn't want to look at the map. He didn't care about anything. He said, just lead. Up He's just going to follow you? Yeah. <laughs> Frank. <laughs> the one thing that bothered me, though, i got to tell you. Don't you have to worry about your friends? Yes, you do. You. <laughs> you, you do have to worry about them. And here's the problem. I could change the wheels, tires, sprockets, chains, uh, do all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But when you go with people who don't have an interest in that, it mm. makes you a babysitter. And that's a cruel word. But you become a caretaker for other people's bikes, and it diminishes some of the joy. Mm-hmm. When i got to worry about, is this chain going to come off or... You know, is that tire wearing uh, unusually quickly? Why is it under under inflated or whatever? It might because be. you're worried he's not doing enough mechanical yeah, yeah. maintenance. Yeah, because he, he doesn't care about it. You know, well, he cared, but was <laughs> that wasn't his thing? Right, right. <laughs> yeah, and I'm a computer programmer. I I enjoy writing, <laughs> but you know, it's not something that I take to naturally as changing tires and stuff. I've done a lot of it, I guess, but. Uh, I, I own a uh, motorcycle lift, so that makes me a mechanic, right? <laughs> I've used it several times. <laughs> you don't store a bike up on it? <laughs> no, no. I, I've used it to, you know, change the oil. I, and uh, when I screw up my carburetor too bad, I, you know, then I take it to the mechanic and he fixes it because he's like, oh, yeah, you missed this pinhole. And I'm like, oh, crap. <laughs> I'm so close. <laughs> you know, it takes me 12 hours and I get frustrated. I'm like, oh, it's still not running right. What's going on? Well, at least you try. I did try. Uh, but yeah, I'm not mechanically inclined. So uh, was it just you and Dale or who all went? Uh, yeah, it was Dale and I. Yeah. And Dale uh, ended up coming back from Santiago. And uh, I went the extra, I guess, 2,500 miles or so to the end of the road. El Fin de Mundo, mm. Ushuaia, Tierra del Fuego. So did so. How long was the plan? Like, how many days did you think? There were, See, I thought I could do it in thirty <laughs> days. I did it in twenty-eight. Okay. So you knew from roughly. here, from here to there, I mean, thirty days. I figured four hundred mile days. Okay. Twelve thousand miles. Big deal. Do you put in break days there when it's thirty <laughs> well, days. Yeah, you get sick. Yeah. Yeah, you know, we uh, we got dehydrated in Panama. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe it was in Panama. Maybe it was El Salvador. But we got dehydrated, and we were wondering why the hell we were feeling so bad. Mm-hmm. And we realized it was not drinking enough water. Yeah. We just rode and rode and rode. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we can just pause it. So Dale says he's in. You think it's going to take about 30 days. Was the plan that you're going to ride down there on and ride all the way back? No. Is that the original plan? No. We were going to sell the bikes. Or we were either going to sell them or we were going to, Take them to a um, consolidator. Do you know what a consolidator is? Uh-uh. That's a person or a company that uh, small companies or individuals take stuff, and when he gets enough, he puts it in a container, and he ships the container. And so we all pay a fractional cost of the container. At that time, I could rent my own container for $2,400. Okay. So I could put one bike. I could put a stone in a container for $2,400. Or I could get 12 bikes, $2,400. To ship them back yeah. to Omaha. So I was hoping to find a consolidator. Mm. As it ended up, 
I did not find a consolidator. I could have if I had gone back to Buenos Aires or to Santiago, to mm. Viña del Mar. But I found a, uh, f- a fellow by the name of Chris Bright, whose BMW broke in half in, uh, um, I think it was Bolivia. I think he was in, in a, half. Broken, the frame got broken half. Oh, what? Did he hit something? Oh, or? no. It, he was in that valley of the moon park where it's just dipped it, dipped it, dipped it, dipped it. So his frame just broke in half. No, he sold okay. it, he sold it to a guy who eventually made it into a nice looking bike, but he ended up in, um, in Uvic with a company called Poncho Via Tours. Now, Poncho Via Tours has gone away. I don't know where it went. Maybe it was assimilated by somebody else, mm-hmm. but he was one of their ride leaders. And I, when I got down there, I went to every dealer. It isn't like you know, the end of the world isn't like there's just nobody there. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a community. Yeah. And, uh, cruise ships stop there and there's fishing and there's, there's, uh, commerce of all kinds down there. Yeah. It's very much like Juneau, Alaska. Really. It's exactly like Juneau, Alaska. Yeah. But I went to every dealer and lo and behold, I'm staying at a B&B uh, on day three, and I just got done putting my new tires, because I carry my tires on my bike with me, my new tires, new chain and sprockets. I had the bike cleaned up beautifully. Wait, day three out of Omaha? No. Oh, day, I was day three there. I'd already been there for oh, three days. Oh, oh, sorry, yeah. And uh, it was beautiful. He rides up uh-huh. on this rented or borrowed bike and says, I heard you want to sell that bike. I said, yes, I do. He says, I got 1500 I said, I'll take 1500 He said, there's a problem. He said, I pissed off. One of the aduanas at the uh, checkpoint between Chile and uh, Argentina. And he says, if the guy remembers me, he's going to look at my paperwork pretty carefully. Mm-hmm. He says, do you have the original title? I said, yes, I do. But there were a lot of uh, internet cafes down in Ushuaia. Because you can imagine a lot of tourists down there. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, there'd be a bar, coffee shop, uh, and a... Uh, computer um, internet cafe. So we walked around. We found one that had a printer and Adobe Workshop. And I proceeded to copy both sides of the title, and we aged it using Adobe Workshop. We found a very close font, put his name instead of my name on the title. <laughs> I get 1500 bucks in my hand. He gets a bike. And there we did our business. What's the statute of limitations in the, whatever country that is? <laughs> they would would they really know a fly? real title? Yeah, I, don't no. know. I mean, going through Mexico, See, I never gave them my my real title. Oh, sure. Ever. Yeah, you have two sets of paperwork, don't you? Well, I carry the originals. Yeah. In case I need to transfer the bike, and in case I get a sharp aduana or inspector, and I always give them the copies, mm-hmm. and most of the time they'll just take the copies. Mm-hmm. The, the, this this book talks a lot about you have multiple caches of money in in case you know someone whatever's and multiple places that you're sticking the important things to you and backups for backup credit cards and for emergencies and yeah well, a lot of things a lot of guys do is they'll take expired credit cards to so that if if you get yeah and you put like twenty thirty dollars in your wallet and you you let them take that fake wallet, right? yeah like multiple fake wallets. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, I did do what he suggested. One of the things he suggested, and I did that always. I would put uh, fifteen, twenty dollar bills in plastic bags in my body armor, mm. 
Mm-hmm. You know, all the coats and pants have body armor pockets. Right. So in each one of them, I'd have maybe $200, $300. Right. And you can always go to an ATM and get money. Jay, I don't know if you know this, but if you go to uh, Costa Rica, El Salvador, Panama, and Ecuador, they use U.S. currency. Mm-hmm. They don't even have their own money. Yeah. They have their own coinage. So you get their money. You get our money when you go to an ATM. Yeah. So getting money wasn't a problem. Uh and I never really had anybody try to rob me, but I did have a couple of interesting guys along the um, coast, the, the uh, Pan American Highway, uh, south of Chile. Uh, guys, maybe 300 yards ahead, and he's beckoning me over, and I'm rolling down probably at 60 miles an hour. Like in uniform? Or? Yeah, he's in uniform. Okay. And he's got you know 45 caliber on his hip and the gun in the in the car. Two guys, and he looks at me and shakes his head. He says. Big problem, senor. Mm. You know, they know you're American or they know you're not local because of the kind of bike you ride. Right. There are no 650 cows and BMWs down there. Everything's little. You're, you're with Dale the whole time? But... Dale rolled in after me. Okay. So here we both are. And the guy wants our paperwork. So yeah. we, we give him our passports and our driver's license and our title. And he's looking at it and he's saying, big problem, big mm. problem. And he pulls out. What looks like a ticket book, like an American cop would have. Yeah. You know, he's showing me, and I didn't even pay attention. And I said, Senor, un momento, por favor. Un momento. Mm. Jail. Jail. He said, No jail. I said, See, sí, jail. Because if you pay him, he's going to be on the phone. And by the time you go 20 miles down the road, you're going to get hit again. The next guy. And then again. Yeah. It's never ending. So I always wanted to end it right now. Mm. So by the time we got done talking, he's saying, arm around me, saying, we're amigos, mm-hmm. some amigos. I said, see, sí, we're amigos. Down there in Argentina, pop is called gaseosa. You know, it makes sense. Soda, some people call it sodas. Mm-hmm. They call it gaseosa. And he wants pocket uh, pop money. Mm-hmm. I said, oh, no, 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 no. I said, we are your guest. You buy us gaseosa. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, no, 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 no. I said, por favor, that means, you know, please, yeah. documents. He took our documents, and away we go, and that was the end of him. And never talked to another cop down there. So you never once had to bribe anybody on any of oh, the We, we did, anything? we did. Uh, on the second time down, we were in Central America. The, the bribery was pretty much in Central America. We are going into El Salvador, uh, out of Guatemala. And this guy, I remember him, polished head. He, he looked like walnut. You know, really nice tan, good, strong-looking guy, got a big pistol on his hip, and he's got this well-polished shotgun. And he stops you, and uh, he says something in Spanish. I don't give a shit what he says. Mm-hmm. I ain't, ain't going to pay attention to it anyway. And he wants money. And I said, oh, mordida. That's Spanish for bribe. He goes, no, not mordida. He wants money. Mm-hmm. I said, well, I'm not going to give you any money. In fact... I think you should be embarrassed to death, my friend. Here you are, a good-looking man. You have these heavy equipment, these heavy weapons, and you're trying to squeeze a buck or two out of tourists. Mm. What would your mom think of that? Do you speak Spanish? No, a little bit. Are you saying this? I did. Spanish no, I said it in English. Yeah. But he could tell by the eyes, mm. and he looked away from me. And I said, "Listen, I'm going to give you a buck because this was entertaining as hell." Mm. So I gave him a buck, and away we go. Yeah. So that was the only bribe <laughs> I ever paid. It. Wow. Yeah, in this book, there's there's all kinds of 
at at the border crossings. You can either wait in line, which oh. takes like three hours. Jay, you're right. You're right. Uh, that's true. In Central America, when you go into Mexico, back then it was $53 for the bond. And then you'd get it when you leave. They just want to make sure you had your motorcycle, that you didn't take a bike down there to sell. Uh, getting into Guatemala, it would probably cost you 20 bucks back then. And what you did is you had this group of kids, 10, 12-year-old kids. Runners, yeah. and, Yes. And they were more efficient than an international attorney. Yeah. <laughs> you gave them your driver's license, your passport, of all things, yeah. your copy of your title, yeah. and off they would run. Yeah. And you wouldn't see them for 15 minutes. Yeah. And he would come back and he'd have your documents. Yeah. And uh, you'd say, how much? Quantos? Blah, blah, blah. Bente. Give him 20 bucks. Uh-huh. You don't use any local currency. Everything's in U.S. dollar. Give him 20 bucks and I'm gone. And I saw people there who I know spoke Spanish who did not play the game. Mm. So, yeah. In fact, the first time when I went into Guatemala, uh, I tried it myself. I thought, I ain't paying no do it. No, no, this stuff. Do the official line. Yeah. yeah. So I went in and I got a problem because I didn't have a stamp on mm-hmm. some spot on an import document. Yeah. So I went out back. I had a black, black magic marker. I had a quarter. I covered my quarter with black magic marker. <laughs> stamped it on this piece of paper. With a quarter. With a quarter. <laughs> I went to the next guy and he looks at it and it's just fine. <laughs> what? <laughs> what the hell they want? It's stamp. That's all they want is a stamp. It had to have a stamp. They wouldn't know what stamp. They don't know. <laughs> That's amazing. We figured so if the, the stamp didn't work, five bucks would probably work. So the kids that you pay, it's a little bit more money, but it's way faster. Way faster. Yeah, totally worth yes. it. Yes. So, okay, yeah. Yeah. And they all and had, 20 bucks is they had family they working in the back. Problem is, you got so many countries. Yeah, yeah. You know, if it wasn't for that, you could get from the south end of Mexico, you could get into Panama in one day, a one day ride. So the original plan is you're you're going to go 30 days down to the tip and then either get a consolidator? Is that what Con- you're yeah, consolidate the to bikes. ship it back yep. or sell the bikes. Yep. Either way, you fly back home. That's all. That's right. All right. So, so what I, I think you said earlier that, that Dale made it partway? What, what, what His happened? bike broke down. He was tired. He was angry. He was frustrated. Day 25? Right? Yeah. Maybe day... Maybe day 25. That would be a good guess, Jay. I've got it all written down in a log, but that'd be a good guess. I'd buy your book. You should write a book. <laughs> so it probably took me four more days. I went across Patagonia. Now, you know, you hear about the winds in Patagonia. Mm. There's no lie. Mm. There's a lot of wind in Patagonia. I was going 50 miles an hour on my bike, and there was a cloud over my head going the same direction at 50 miles an hour, and the shadow of that cloud was on my front fender. And I wanted to see how fast that cloud was moving. Mm-hmm. 50 miles an hour. Really? <laughs> That's how fast the cloud and my and myself were going. I ended up buying gas. I had to get gas about the middle of Argentina. And uh, the wind was so strong, I couldn't put the bike on the side stand. It would tip it over. Mm. So I had to wheel the bike over and wedge it up against a building. So if you didn't pay attention, you could get pushed off to the side pretty easily. So were there specific events that... That Dale was frustrated by, or just it had been too long? Oh, he had fallen several times. Mm. In fact, he fell. He is the most durable guy I've ever known. He fell uh, when we were leaving Mexico City. We were on, like, like the the uh, tariff road, turnpike. Mm. And uh, we we shouldn't have been on that lane. I, I really screwed up. 
So we turned around and we were heading away from the tariff booth. And some guy in a very high-powered red car flies out and sideswipes Dale. Oh, no. Takes Dale down. Oh, crap. Cop right behind the guy. Didn't even chase him. Wow. Couldn't care less. So what did we do? We had to duct tape his gear, part of his bike, because he broke the plastic on the fairing and and his his gear got busted up. So his, he was physically okay? Uh, he was hurting. I've never been hurt. Never, I've never been hit by a vehicle. Well, so. we, we always carried something like penicillin or Cipro. And so about three days later, he did have a, a red stripe coming up his arm from where he'd gotten uh, injured. Was there a puncture? Did he get Yeah, scrape. Yeah, there was some stripes. scraping, yeah. And by that time, we were probably in Liberia, Panama. We were both wore out, but he was hurting. So he started his Cipro regimen. A day later, we were fine. Yeah, if you get hit in Mexico City, you're only, what's that, 20% of the way down there? Sure, I, I don't know. I never calculated it. <laughs> Yeah, Mexico City is not not, not very far. Yet. No, <laughs> dang. Yeah, if I got hit by a car in Mexico City, I'm not sure that I would want to keep going the other eighty percent of the trip. Oh, and then a little further down in Tonala, which is fairly close to the uh, south uh, western corner of Mexico along the beach, uh, I was passing some slow moving cars, and Dale made the mistake of trying to stay with me. You have to, you know, choose your own space, mm. and he. He came in, and a bus comes around the corner. So he just dove. He just shoved his bike into the opening. Of course, he went down. He hit the back end of the car. And, boy, shook it off. Mm. Duct taped something else on his bike or on him and went on. Yeah. Tough guy. But riding through Central America is probably the most challenging. A friend of mine from New Zealand just um, this past year took six months, shipped his bike from where he lives in Christchurch, to uh, Santiago, and then rode down to Ushuaia. He'd been there about four times, and then was coming back up. He had never come all the way further north, but he went all the way from Ushuaia to uh, Dead Horse, and he did that in a six-month ride. What was I going to say? I got lost on that one, too. <laughs> anyway. So mechanically, did you, other than falling, which sounds terrible and scary as hell, um, were there other major uh, mechanical issues? Never. At all? No, just Dale's bike um, wore out prematurely. Mm. I always, I was always checking my uh, chain lube, um, always keeping it adjusted correctly. That's like a daily process when you're riding that much, isn't it? Yeah. Going 400 miles on, on dirty roads, not necessarily gravel or sand. you got to do it more often then. Yeah, you do have to tend to it. Mm. And you're in little, like, hotel-type situations? Yes. Going through Central Central and South America, Jay, we didn't camp Mm -hmm. because it's so cheap to stay in a hotel. And every time we negotiated a cochera, a garage, or we kept our bikes in the grand lobby of some impressive hotels because we weren't going to leave the bikes out. Either the bikes came in our room or in your lobby, or we keep looking for a hotel. I think in this book he mentions a lot of courtyard hotels. We like, did that. Yeah, we did that a lot. And that, that was a good yes. a good deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you have locking mechanisms for, I mean, like cable locks or anything, or would that not have done anything? They've got, they've got uh, bolt cutters. Sure. I, yeah, I don't, <laughs> I don't know what would work or not work. <laughs> and I, you don't leave anything of any value. On the uh, bike. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't have much stolen. Did you guys have radios? Like, how, how no. do you communicate? Nothing. You know, just the first guy waits. 
Second guy catches up. If he didn't catch up, you got to turn around and go back, see what happened. <laughs> yeah. Turn around. Yep. Well, yeah. interesting thing was one time we were coming out of Colombia. Oh, by the way, you can't really ride all the way to the tip of South America. There's an area called the Darien Gap in southern Panama and northern Colombia. It's, I believe, 26 rivers going basically ocean to ocean. So there's no road. The Pan American Highway is uh, surveyed through there, and there are the stakes in the ground. If you want to find them, you can find them, but they're never going to pave that road because of drugs and also because of the kinds of bugs. It could then get through from one hemisphere to the other. Mm. So when you get to Panama, you can go to the edge of the forest, but then you have to go back to the airport, go back to the back of the um, Pan American Airport, and uh, send your bike by air. There aren't any reliable ferry systems. So how far down? There's so a how there's far there's you right there. Ushuaia? That's as far as the road goes. Okay, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. I've gone through Rio Gallego, Rio Grande. I didn't do this. This is the most beautiful because of all the glaciers. Mm -hmm. Comodoro, Rivadavia, so San Carlos del Berlote. You were in all kinds of terrain, right? You had oh, yeah. high mountains. deserts, yeah. mountains. Yeah, all the deserts through Peru. All kinds of uh, rainforest, I assume. All kinds of Mostly rain. in Central America. Sure, sure. I think the most rainforesty place was um, Costa Rica. Mm. So are you... The elevation difference was it so great that you had to worry about carburetors? No, because you, because you, well, yes, yeah, oh. you had no horsepower, but so what? Uh, we were at one uh, one mountain. We had been just we had just left uh, Punta, which is on uh, Lake Titicaca, mm -hmm. uh, and before that, the day before that, we were in uh, uh, can't remember the name of the town. It's where you get on the train to go to Machu Picchu. At any rate, we climbed this mountain. The sign said 5,400 meters. It was paved. When we get to the top of this mountain, yeah, that's just, that's exactly what the people look like. Mm -hmm. You know what always amazed me, Jay? Mm -hmm. You go to these little towns, there's maybe four or five adobe buildings. You drive miles before you see anything else. Mm -hmm. What's the incentive for these people to be clean and dress nicely? Why would they bother? Always amazed me. I would drive through these villages and people were pretty. The men were well dressed. The ladies were well dressed. And they were doing, uh, you know, dirty jobs like cleaning the sidewalk or, or. Are they farming? Is that what they're doing for a living? Yeah. Yeah. A lot of them? What they're doing is they're trying to eke out a living out of each of the, the terraces along the mountains of the Andes. Or, uh, herding, uh, Llamas. Sheep llamas? Yeah. Yeah. And alpacas? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Huh. Yeah, I had to do, I had to do this very thing right here. I had to fix my front tire coming out of, <laughs> coming out of, uh, and this is not you uncommon. Did you did it on one set of tires, right? I did. Yeah. I kept thinking, yeah, I got to Mexico City, tires look good, I'll wait a while. Got mm. to, um, Colombia, to Bogota, they look like they're gonna do okay. Got to Lima, you know, they're not bad. Yeah. I made it all the way to Ushuai, did not show any cords. Hmm. There's no tread left, but they were right. still still holding air. <laughs> yeah. And you didn't have to adjust your carburetor for the mountain. You just don't have We to didn't rejet. We just went slower and slower and downshifted and downshifted. Yeah. So he went up to Mocha Picchu or Machu Picchu. Machu Picchu. Mm -hmm. had, had you been to Machu Picchu? Yeah. Yeah. Did you oh, yeah. go on the trip? Yeah. 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 You take the train. Yeah. 
and uh, out of Cusco, and you go there, and you go to a town called Aguas Caliente, and then you can either walk up that mountain, or you can spend, spend five bucks for a bus that shuttles you up there, and then you spend 20 to get where this guy's at. Well, that sounds like the best five bucks ever. <laughs> yeah, it was a great five bucks. The thing is, it's always raining. This is unusual when you have a clear day. Mm. Well, this was raining the day you were up there? Oh, yeah. In fact, it was not raining down below. And there were young kids selling these $2 ponchos. And we thought, well, it's not raining. You go up the mountain, it's raining. Mm. Yeah. And you wish you'd spent the 2 bucks for the poncho. Did you come back with 5,000 photos? I had, a, I had a few. I had a few photos. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I think you were a lot. You, you wrote a bunch of journal things for a, a, a magazine, wasn't it? Actually, was I didn't write it for them. Thing. I put it on a, a site called Horizons Unlimited. Mm-hmm. You know, today people uh, go to a, a site called what? Adventure Writing or Adventure Writers. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was before that. Horizons Unlimited by the Johnsons. Uh, was really an important source. Is that still online? You know, yeah, well, yes, it is. And that okay. some magazine guy called me out of Norway or Scandinavia and said, "Can I take your story and put it in our magazine?" I said, "Yeah, yeah, cool." I'm flattered. Yeah, if I can find it, I'll link to the the show notes to to your journals. So, so this kind of white endless desert. It's there, but I didn't do your, that. Okay. I didn't go there. That that part of the book. That's the Atacama perfect. Desert. Yeah. We were along the coast. Now there is nothing green or living along that desert. Honestly, there's nothing living. And this, it, this is inland, right? That's inland. And I did this quite often. Yeah. Fall down, <laughs> and I'd have to wait for a trucker to come by and help me pick it up. Either that or I'd take all the gear off. Right. What did it weigh fully loaded, you know? <sighs> More than I could lift. Yeah. I don't know what it weighed. I was the kind of guy that I always took my crummiest socks and underwear, and i just keep throwing it away. Well, then on a trip like that long, you end up going somewhere and buying it. And there's always a Walmart or a Costco. No matter where in the world you are, you can go buy stuff like that cheap. Well, I have to shop at big and tall stores. so I, I, I had a lot of uh, Asian difficulty. I guess. <laughs> yeah, there's not a lot of clothing in Asia that fits me. <laughs> we, uh, I went to a friend's wedding, and uh, they're, they're like, oh, yeah, they make great suits that are super cheap. You won't believe it. And they're like, just send us your measurements. And we send in my measurements. And my brother's a big guy too, right? And, you know, my friend called back and said, um, yeah, the, the tailor doesn't believe me that <laughs> these are your measurements. And like, oh, yeah, yeah. I'm a big fat American. Tell him it's, that that's actually my size. So. <laughs> Ecuador's a fun country. You know, it's funny. You ride out of, uh, um, uh, Colombia into Ecuador. Ecuador is where the equator's at, right? Mm-hmm. You'd think it'd be hotter than heck, right? But we're so. we're there like in uh, December, and it's cold. Mm. Quito, which is the main city, the capital, cold as hell. At sea it's level up, or up in the mountains? It's up or? in the mountains a little bit. Yeah. How does the Panama Canal work? How do you cross the Panama Canal? Big bridge. There's just a bridge across the, the Panama Canal, but you can't get across the Durian Gap without using an airplane these days. And what's, what's it's gotten that? expensive. Where's the Durian Gap? There's Medellin, Cali, Bogota. And right here, this area here mm-hmm. is called Taponda de Darien. Is it, can you read that? Yep. That's the, the gap, the, the Darien Gap. What is it? A big valley? So it's, it's a jungle. It's oh. a jungle with 26, uh, rivers and mountains. And you can, you could, you could probably run through it. You could probably have a bunch of guys hiking through it. Hmm. Uh, you could probably take a dirt bike you carry it on your shoulder 
And there are Indians that live in that uh, in the Darien. They're very clever. I mean, uh, you would think that capitalism would be foreign to them. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> the first guy will take you across the river for $5. His cousin will take you across the next one for 10 You can see where this is going. <laughs> because once you're in. 26 rivers in. What do you suppose it's costing you to get across the river? Wait, so how did you do that? How did I you didn't. I went back to the airport and flew the bike over. Oh, okay. So your your bike gets flown from and, one yeah. country to one country? Well, from the Panama Airline, uh, Airport right here is... Uh, Panama City, yeah. flew it over to uh, Bogota. Oh, okay. And we just continued on down. This is the FARC reason right here. Yeah. Right here. That, that's where he got kidnapped, supposedly. Right? Yeah, we got Bogota. stopped there by by some villagers, but it wasn't threatening. Yeah, and I'm sure it They wanted money, and we said no. And, and then Dale says uh, no. And you know, it's funny. The guy lifted this big pole, big bamboo pole. And uh, my friend Dale, who never, ever accelerates fast, shot past me on my left, and then I took off. They had machine guns on the side of the wall, but nobody shot at us or anything. What was the bamboo pole? It was a stop you to get a toll. Oh, and he went through it. He went through it. I went right after him. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't think, was you know, the- these are, Jay, these are people <laughs> trying to make a living. Yeah. I mean, if Americans are dumb enough to buy drugs... They are desperate enough to grow. Mm-hmm. It's like saying, well, you can't grow corn anymore because corn is toxic. Well, if people want corn, farmers are going to grow corn. Mm-hmm. So I never faulted them for that. But I don't use the stuff. Mm-hmm. And if there were nobody buying the stuff, these guys would find a different crop. So everything about this sounds adventurous. Am I allowed to call your South American side adventurous? See, I never thought about it as being adventurous. <laughs> really? No. <laughs> Just What's interesting <laughs> to me is that the guys that tried to get money out of us, uh-huh. my partner and I, Dale and I, were realtors, real estate agents. Okay, We negotiate everything. Yeah. Everything is negotiable. Yeah. What we pay for the hotel, how much the food's going to cost. Now, you don't negotiate that very often, but we had from time to time. Whether we can get a, a, a garage with our, uh, with our hotel, that's all negotiable. When these guys wanted money, you look them in the eye and you negotiate. And almost always, you win. Now, if we had, or if I had noticed a bad guy, I would have paid. Yeah. I'm not stupid. But I never I never met a bad guy. They were just guys who thought they would try their luck at squeezing a buck or two out of some tourists. Yeah, That's part of the game. So I didn't even think of that as an adventure. Well, and it's a self-reinforcing game, like yeah. you said. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, First guy pays. Second guy's gonna pay. And, yeah. And I don't know if this guy was new at it or what, but I'm, I'm talking about the guy in El Salvador who just wanted a buck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As long as it's a trivial amount of money, who cares? So. Well, I didn't really know what he wanted. As as I just gave him there. the buck as a souvenir. Right. Were you injured the times that you laid it down? Well, yeah. I crashed. Here is Aguas Caliente. This is where the train takes you when you go to Machu Picchu, and you leave from Cusco. This is like a crater in the bottom of a uh, of a huge meteor strike. I mean, you go go down, 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 down into the Plaza del Arms, and there's this village, this town down there, but it's surrounded completely uh, by the mountains. And when the train leaves the train station to go up over the mountains to Aguas Caliente, it was interesting. You get on the train, it backs up a couple of hundred yards. 
and then it stops. You think, well, it broke already. And then it moves forward up slightly, a few hundred yards, and then it stops. And then it went back a few hundred yards, and it stops. And we just simply seesawed our way to the top of the mountain mm. and went around to the other side. So you're going backwards uphill. We're going backwards as much as we are forward until we get near the crest or near the pass yeah. where the train could go around. That was interesting. And they sold coca leaves for those folks who flew in from Lima because Lima is sea level and Cusco is probably a mile high. Mm. And uh, th- there are folks who had headaches, but not us because we had been riding the whole time. But I crashed near here. It won't go any bigger, will it? We're looking at a, uh, oh, Chinceros. We crashed about 10 clicks out of Chinceros. That was a fun, that was an adventure. Okay. <laughs> it was raining. It had been raining uh, all day. Uh, uh, the glasses are dirty. The face shield is dirty. The windshield is dirty. It's getting dusk, so we can't see much. Mm. We're on a shelf, a road built off, it's basically a shelf that's been scraped for a road carved out of the side of the mountain. It's one lane. I stuck to the inside, Dale to the outside. Two-way traffic. Well, yeah, but you have plenty of time usually because you're not going very fast. You get time to to squeeze over and let traffic by. Okay. But there was a piece of rock granite or something very hard that they couldn't break, and it stuck out into the path, and I hit it. I didn't see it. Mm. I hit it. My bike stopped immediately. I flipped over, and I broke my collarbone. Mm. So I'm laying there on the ground. I was unconscious for a few minutes. And I got a rutabaga-sized thing growing on my on my clavicle here. Well, meanwhile, a truck, a dump truck coming out of Tinteros uh, stops, helps me ride my bike. Mm. And Dale, uh, he says to Dale, he indicates, move back mm. so he can get by. Well, it had been raining, as I mentioned. And Dale got too close to the edge, and him and the bike just went right off the edge of the mountain. And at this point, it's pure dark. Holy crap. So we go over to the edge, and we can see the road, because there's a couple of vehicles winding its way up the mountain. And I have no idea how far Dale has gone down. <laughs> so meanwhile, we're looking at this, and we're yelling, Dale, Dale. And eventually, he responds. Are you okay? Yeah, I'm okay. Where yet? I don't know. Okay. So meanwhile, a bus coming the other way stops because the dump truck is in the way. My bike is upright on the side stand off to the side near that big granite outcropping that I hit. Dale's down who knows where. These people are just incredible. These people were going to that one town for whatever reason. It it was the bigger village. They had access to internet, uh, shopping. I think there was a little college in that town. And maybe at parties or festivities, I don't know. But they all get out, and it's raining. They all go look over the side, and a guy takes the guy with the dump truck, reaches up, he climbs up on his truck, and he pulls the rope that holds the tarpaulin down on top of the truck. So he's got this big, long, heavy-duty rope, and he throws it down. Well, Dale can't get the rope. He's hanging for dear life. Does he know where it is? No, he can't see it. Okay. And he's hanging onto the bike because the bike got caught on a root of a tree growing out of the side of the mountain. So, we don't know what to do. A young guy, young Peruvian, repels down the rope <laughs> and starts, and Dale says, 
He's helping me take the gear off the bike because the bike is heavy with all the gear on it. So up comes the tires, up comes one of the saddlebags, up comes the other saddlebag, up comes his his back, his pad, or his bag, his wet bag with all of his uh, underwear and clothing on it. And now we have just Dale, the Peruvian man, and the bike. So the guy, get somebody on the bus has another rope. So they throw the rope down, and we're pulling the bike up slowly. And there's about eight of us. Everybody on the bus, man, woman, and child, is pulling on this rope. So we're pulling this bike up. And, of course, it's a sheer drop-off. So, you know, it isn't like we can just pull it this way. We're pulling it, and now how do you get it over the edge? So Dale is reaching over to grab it, and the ground is giving way. And all I remember is I'm standing next to Dale, pulling with my good arm. With a broken collarbone. (laughs) Yeah, the other arm. The other arm is good, though. The good arm is okay. (laughs) And I'm looking at this lady, brown skin. I mean, she was like the brownest person I'd ever seen. Mm. And I don't know how old she was. Her skin was, was aged, I would think. She reaches over and grabs Dale, pulls Dale and the motorcycle up over the hill, over the, the edge of the cliff. <laughs> yeah. This woman saved our butt. So I said to Dale, we got to make this now as inconspicuous as possible. Put your bike over there. Get all your gear back on it as fast as you can. We, we need to be normal again. Mm. Okay, We can't linger about this. We'll talk about this another time. So he starts mounting his, his uh, gear on his bike. And they pulled up the second rope. And I remember the guy, you know, wrapping around his elbow and his hand. And he puts in somewhere. And then he pulls up the second rope. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying, uh, hombre, otro hombre, mm-hmm. the other guy's down there. Yeah. Oh! So they throw the rope down. And we pull the guy up. And there's cheers and clapping. And everybody's patting each other on the back. We can't possibly thank these people. I mean, we're in our own little world of misery and dirty because we'd fallen. But these were such beautiful people. They get in their bus. The bus pulls over a little bit. The truck goes his way. The bus goes that's way. And now Dale and I are there. My battery's dead because I've been using the headlight Mm. to uh, operate. But before the guy with the truck leaves, I said, I want to use your – I showed my little jumper cables I had made specific for a bike. I want to jump my bike. He understood right away. Well, he's got like six big batteries. I have no idea how many volts these are. Mm. I just took a guess. Started right up. And off we go. So we're going about ten clicks. And you can ride okay. Well, I have to do this. I have to put my hand up on the handlebar. (laughs) So we're riding along. Yeah, in the dark. You have headlights. We've got headlights and our bikes are not damaged. Yeah. Ironically. And I see this swirling light, this flashing light coming. Mm Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking to myself, some poor son of a bitch is having a bad day. <laughs> and as he gets near us, he's going like this. He's stopping for us. Uh, Somebody must have turned around and went back and gotten the ambulance from Chinceros. So the guy stops and he wants to maybe go to the hospital because you know, they don't want to waste a trip. Mm. Hospital. No hospital. Uh, see hospital. No hospital. So they throw up their arms and... Uh, and Giving up. Dale and I ride to this little town, Chinceros. We find there's two hotels, no paved road, just gravel. Pulled up, knocked on this heavy door, just like you'd see 500 years ago. This little lady opens the door with her dad. And across the the uh, opening, it says, Feliz Navidad. And it's like that shiny tin foil signed, you know, because mm-hmm. it's Christmas time. Yeah. 
And we can't figure out what she's saying about the name. Her name was Maria. Everybody's Maria. But his name, we just figured it was Felix, because Felix. So it sounded like Felix. So we called him Felix. Well, we're, we, we want to stay there, but we need a cochera. So she goes over and talks to a neighbor who has a garage that's being built, but not quite done, but it is secure. So she said, we could put our bikes there. So we put our bikes in there, and we lug our stuff up. The entry, we go through the door into the courtyard, porta potty type bathroom, stream coming down out of the mountains, black pipe bringing the water that you need for drinking, and bathroom, and shower. We go up this, like, one-and-a-half-foot-wide steps. We get to our room on a catwalk. We're up there, and we're looking through the floorboards. There's no carpet. There's no linoleum. And the spacing is about three-eighths of an inch between the boards. We can see Maria and Felix down below. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and a light bulb, you know, hanging on a bare wire. So we get settled in, and I'm really starting to hurt. Yeah. This old man brings up a vacuum bottle, you know, the old glass-type thermos bottle, full of rich, wonderful coffee, two mugs, and a bunch of alpaca blankets. The alpaca blankets are like folding plywood. They are so heavy, mm. but they're warm. Yeah. This man then brings over a friend who is a, a medico. And the medico wants to take me to the hospital for this uh, fractured clavicular. I said, no, no hospital. He says, a manana, tomorrow, a ocho hora. I said, okay, well, 8 o'clock tomorrow. Sure enough, 8 o'clock, he's on my door, and we go over to the hospital. Well, the hospital is something like you would see in an abandoned part of town in Omaha. Mm. This green stucco look. And uh, there's a two-car garage-looking building, with what looks like a dirt floor to me. That's the x-ray room. They have and, an x-ray machine. And inside this this. I would call it two-car garage made out of stucco, mm. is this pristine stainless steel and porcelain white x-ray machine donated by a sister city in Japan. Really? Yes. <laughs> yeah. But I had to wait for the x-ray technician. He was also the ambulance driver, and he hadn't come in yet. So he comes in and hangs lead over my testicles and takes an x-ray and walks me over to the hospital with the x-ray and the doctor. I meet the doctor. We chat. He fills out a, an accident report. He sells me this bandage about two inches wide, about 20 feet long, so I can make a butterfly to support my arm. Yes. $8 U.S. cash. Uh-huh. Okay. I give him the bucks. We spend three days there at this little town in Chinceros. The people were just absolutely wonderful. Yeah. We leave Chinceros. Five miles down the road, I get a flat tire. <laughs> And I gotta change it myself well, because three, after three days, isn't your arm still hurting like hell? But you can move it. No, no, no. I just I had to lift it. But you oh, don't. Okay. It's not like you have options. I'm mean, just like you. Can, <laughs> yeah, you can fly home. No, right? no, no. that's never that. The second time I did crash and broke my leg in 33 places. And what? That, yes, On I the did. Same trip? No, second trip. Oh, second trip. Okay. I did have to fly home then. So where we left off, uh, Chincheros. Chinceros. 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 So let's find Lima. What I wanted to ask you okay. is you've now broken your collarbone. I broke it in Chinceros. Yeah, which is right in here. And, Frank, that's halfway. That, that's only halfway, right, to the tip of South America? And you have a broken collarbone. Yeah. And what are you thinking at this point? Getting better every day. 
<laughs> really? Yeah, yeah. You can ride with a broken collarbone. You just have to pick up your hand uh-huh. and put it on the handlebar. Aren't you just can't you? lift your hand, but you can still steer. You can still squeeze the, the grips. So the x-rays showed that it wasn't compound. No, it was a minimal fracture. Minimal fracture. Okay. Fractura minimal. So they, were gonna, they weren't going to do anything anyway other than just They wouldn't have anyway because I'm not a citizen. But if you had been in the States and had that same injury... Would they have oh, put you in an arm sling and probably. told you not to move it for some Yeah, for- yeah. They did say, they suggested I not go anywhere for, or ride a bike for two days. They were, they tried to say a week. I said, that's not going to happen. Oh. Two days, I'll wait. Well, then it had to be three days because there was an, a national uh, strike in, in the southern um, South American countries. Everybody honors the strike. Not only... Does every worker honor the strike? They come in and they plow trees and put ro- uh, rocks and debris in the road so that the buses and trucks cannot traverse. So all commerce stops until the strike gets settled. Now, that caused a problem in Chinceros because the lady who had the kiosk in the little city square, she sold us our food, our lunch, and our supper. We bought pieces of bread off the girls on the street for breakfast. But we bought our lunches and suppers from this family. And uh, she tells us in, in broken English and Spanish that she could not serve us during the during the strike. Well, people have to eat still. Too bad. <laughs> so here's what she did. She said, you'll be our guest in our home. Oh. So Dale and I ate in her home, and we just tipped them. Yeah. Yeah. So how long was the whole Two days. Two days was the strike duration. Mm-hmm. So it was three, we were there three days. Yeah. We, we hit a roadblock in Indonesia, which was a strike against the local government. That was interesting. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Wow. So you're, see, I think you're just a hundred times tougher than me because if I had a broken collarbone and I was halfway, I'd be like, uh, yeah. Okay, what would we'll, you do, Jay? I'll try this again <laughs> some other year. You're in the middle, you're on a mountain uh-huh. and there's no, you, you can't just quit. Yeah. Quitting is not an option. I've never had a broken collarbone, so I don't know how much pain we're talking about. But you're you're saying you still have your grip strength? Yes, yes. Once you get your arm on, once you get your hand, you just can't lift your arm. Can you steer? I steer just fine, which is good because we're on gravel. Yeah, yeah. That was not a problem. Painful as all hell. Yeah. Yeah. No, I don't even remember the pain. If there was pain, I don't remember it. I just so much pain that yeah, the people were wonderful. You're chewing on cocoa leaves. Crazy. Never, never did. Never did. Wow. Didn't have any headaches because, yeah, it took us three days to get there. So we were at the, uh, we had adapted to the upper elevations. Yeah. So are there other stories like Dale falling off a mountain and disappearing into, <laughs> into a crib on this first trip? Or was that the highlight of the adventure craziness? Well, let's see. We encountered, um, <laughs> In Colombia, near the FARC region. Yeah. A couple of fun stories. Leaving uh, Bogota after we got our bikes, and this is interesting. Our bikes were uh, shipped to Bogota from Panama City Airport, right? Absolutely no graft, no bribery, straight business. Where are your documents? Yes, they're approved. Gestumping them. Here's your motorcycle. They didn't want any bribe, no thank yous, all business. Dazzled. So we get on our bikes. We don't have GPS. How the hell do you get out of Bogota and go south? We were trying to get over here to, um, we ended up going through Pasto down through here. We wanted to go over here to Buena Ventura. 
uh, to the coastal city. You see that? Mm -hmm. But we got lost uh, on the way. So many good stories. We're riding through uh, uh, the, like an industrial area. Yeah. Well, you know what they do in South America when they need steel to fix something? Mm. They just pick up a manhole cover. Really? Yeah. yeah. So you're riding along. Guess what you yeah. encounter? So you're always vigilant about manhole covers being missing. Mm. We encountered two missing just getting out of town. But we're riding along, Jay, and we're getting out of town. The traffic's getting a little thinner. Probably 40 miles, I guess, 50 miles, we're in a wine region south of Bogota. And there are merchants on the side of the road who have wine in um, styrofoam-sleeved bags. And what you would see from the car, money would go out the window, a bag of wine would come in the car, and, you know, it would slow you down. You can't go around it because there's so much traffic. So you'd see dozens of these people buying wine on the side of the road. And now we're down the road, perfectly straight road, no turns or curves, huge billboard, peligrosa. That means danger. Peligrosa. Zona de accidente. Now, what do you think? They're shit-faced at the end of an hour drinking wine while they're driving because mm -hmm. there's no curves. Mm -hmm. But there's people running off all the road, all over the place. Mm -hmm. You gotta be careful for them. But I was thinking, doesn't the government know why this accidents are happening? It's not like we're in the mountains or the curves. Mm. But at, after an hour of drinking, these people were probably impaired. Cause that's the only reason you'd have accidents at that point. But it was funny. They're warning us, but they, <laughs> but they didn't tell us it's because of drunk drivers. Uh, that was pretty funny. But do you have a whole stack of paper maps then? Yes, or? I do. I've got a plastic container half as big as this table full of maps. And a, and a compass mounted on your on your bike or something? Or how do you generally, or just from the sun? Sun. Yeah. Okay. So you, you keep switching maps. And yes. you're like, okay, here's our goal. Yeah, like you get into Chile, for example. Chile looks like it's 80 miles wide, 1,000 miles long. Yeah. So what you do is you have it in, say, 13 zones. So what you do is you just cut the map up into 13 pieces. Hmm. And you just have page one. That's a day or two-thirds of a day, day two, day three, and so on. That's how you did that one. Yeah. Oh, so so uh, just to save space on all of these maps? Yeah, otherwise you're trying to unfold them and the wind's blowing them around. Yeah. Yeah. And you can't really see them at night, especially when it's raining. You didn't ride at night unless you so, uh, got stuck, right? When something. you uh, misjudged yeah. the distance. Right. Oh, going through the FARC region of Colombia was fun because we got stopped by a truckload of uh, federales. They tell us in unbroken English, no further tonight. Danger. Okay. So we ride along about a couple of kilometers, and here's a lover's hotel. Do you know what a lover's hotel is? Pay by the hour. Yep. So we pull up to this lover's hotel. It's got a big, tall uh, wall around it with a guy with a gun, a big, big honking shotgun. Mm. And you have these rooms, and they're above the garage. And the garage has a big, heavy... Uh, curtain. So I went in there and Dale, so here's two guys, right? We want a room for eight hours. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Ocho horas? We need to sleep. <laughs> sleep. Uh, it was like eight or ten bucks. Mm. Cleanest room we'd ever had. Wow. And our, our car, our bikes were, we didn't have to take our gear off our bikes because they were right underneath us. Yeah. 
and a big shotgun guy. So and a big shotgun guy <laughs> watching. Right, that was kind of fun. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> so, are you? Is your? Did you pre-highlight like the exact route you wanted to be on the whole way down there, and then like when you got a mountain on one side and ocean on the other, you can't get lost. <laughs> I'm, I'm just picturing. I've I've seen those those cool tank. Bags. Oh, yeah, we have those. With the pouches. That would last about 10 kilometers and you'd run out of map. So how did you feel at the end of the first trip? Were you uh, exhausted and glad it was over? No. Or were you wanting to do another 30 days? I, I couldn't because, you know, I'm married happily. Yeah, yeah. And I have a, I'm a real estate agent and every day I'm gone is business I'm losing and I'll never get back. Yeah. So, you know, I thought, well, I do have to get back. But uh-huh. I could go on. I, I'm a nomad. I could ride forever. Yeah. But I have responsibilities. Sure. I had kids who were probably still in high school at the time. Were you thinking of your second trip already? Always. 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 Yeah. Yeah, I have a calendar right there that goes up through the end of next year for my rides for next year. Yeah. So that I don't, you know, double book. So what was the transition from the end of the first South American trip? To to the second? To deciding to do the second one. Oh, um, it was five years later. 2005, and I wanted to join a group of international travelers in Ushuaia for New Year's Eve, the end of the world at the end of the year. Yeah, nice. <laughs> and I made it to Soliana, Peru. So who's on this trip? Dale again. Oh, the two of you. Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, Did we both crashed. Did to fall off any mountains this time? Oh, no, we both crashed, but I got hurt bad, and he was hurting too. He got, he's a tough guy. And the, the story was wonderful. I always keep track of where we stayed because you never know when you need that resource again. Mm. Well, there was this family that runs a place called uh, La, La Siesta in Soliana. It was a nice hotel, a little bit pricey for us, but we deserved it after that much time on the road. They had a pool and they had good food in their restaurant. So we stayed there uh, one night and the next morning we adjusted uh, the bikes and Maybe even change the oil. So about noon, we get on the bikes, and it's perfect. The, the Pan American Highway is perfect. In fact, the address for uh, La Siesta is number, 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 Pan American Highway. Hmm. It's just like the Elcan Highway going through Canada. Your address is the mile marker on the on this road. Yeah. So... Uh, we're riding along and apparently a truck before us dropped diesel fuel, uh, in, on the road. And since the road was brand new, we could not tell a difference in the color. Oh. And I'm, you know, I got a bike that's got maybe 34 horsepower at its best and my rear wheel just spun out. I went down, slid backwards for about 150 feet and, uh, found out three days later that my leg, tibia and fibula were broken in 33 places. Were you unconscious for three days? No, I was unconscious for one minute. I'm sliding backwards thinking, oh, crap. My leg, my my shoe is right here by my leg. So I'm looking at my leg. I know that's a a trip stopper. I'm thinking, well, that screws up things. And I'm wondering how Dale's doing. I'm watching him fall off. He's okay. Nothing serious happening to him. And when I stop sliding, I'm thinking, I'm going to get run over now. Because I can't turn around and look what's coming at us from the south. And out of nowhere comes this man who takes my leg and gently pulls it back straight. That hurt. I do remember that pain. And he puts it on top of my other leg, and he dragged me off the road. Yeah. So where was that? Soliana, Peru. 
That's probably 300 miles north of Lima. Okay. That's as far as we got. Yeah, I I guess. So was was he okay? He fell, too. Yeah, he broke some ribs. And I think he might have broke a collarbone, too. Wow. But, so uh, the, place, but, but the police heard me tell Dale. I said, Dale, make sure the bikes get back to the La Siesta. Hmm. The cop heard the word La Siesta. Went back there. The woman remembered us. She knew who we were because we'd been there five years earlier and we were a good guest. We ate and we ate at their restaurant and stayed maybe two nights. Well, she goes to the Apollo 13 hospital, which is what the hospital's called in um, Soliana. And the policeman wants to put me in the front seat. I said, no, I can't fold my leg up in the front seat. So he lets me get in the back seat and he takes me and another cop takes Dale, and we go to the hospital, and the guard won't let us in. The policeman pulls his gun, points it at the guard. The guard backs off and opens the gate and lets us in. The guard at the hospital? Did not want us in. Because? I have no idea. Hmm. Maybe because we weren't citizens? Hmm. I have no idea. All I know is that I see a gun, I see a cop, very efficient, in federality clothes, green, olive green type clothing, we pulled into the emergency room. Uh, the guy could tell, you know, that don't need an x-ray to see. This is smushed. My my foot's just hanging there. But I could feel my toes. I could move my toes. Mm. They had me on a table, so I could, my foot was, like, upside down. And Dale is, uh, there, he had some scuff marks, so they wanted to give him penicillin. And they asked him if he was allergic to penicillin in Spanish. But he was out of it. I mean, he was in pain. And I said, no, no penicillin, because Dale is, that's why we had Cipro, because he's allergic to penicillin. So that prevented a problem. But the people from the hotel meet us there, promise the hospital that they will pay in cash on our behalf. Calls the consulate office in Lima. The guy calls back. They give me the cell phone. I'm not even sure I had a cell phone here. Well, yes, I guess we did in 96, 2006. And the guy says, make sure, if you can, that you get a letterhead, a letter from a doctor, a letterhead that says that you're ambulatory. Otherwise, you'll need medical evacuation, and that's ex- extremely expensive and difficult to arrange. So I, I we're, we're in the ER. He can't do a thing for me, but he puts a... Uh, a soft wrap so that the leg is pointing the right direction. The nurse speaks very little English, and I said, how long? Cuantos dias? She said, senor, you go home. So our our hosts had a, a family member that was a travel agent, arranged a flight two days later from that little village to Lima and back to the United States. And, uh, Dale is pushing me in a wheelchair, and he's all hurting. And we get out to the tarmac at this little hotel, this little airport, and there's 35 or 40 stairs to get to the, to the airplane. Yeah. They also bought me a pair of crutches, which I still have to this day, 10 bucks. Yeah. So I had crutches I could go up the stairs. I mean, everything worked out perfectly. It was beautiful. Well, but, I mean, with 33 breaks in your leg. I didn't know that, though, then. It wasn't yeah. until Dr. Pete Simino here in Omaha x-rayed it and said it had to come off. Your leg had yeah. to come off. Yeah. I asked him, I said, Doc, how long before I can ride? He said, well, I'll take it off. I said, why? 
I said, I can still move my toes. I can almost even twist my ankles because the muscles were all in good shape. Mm. I've only got a few dead spots at the tips of my toes from uh, nerve damage. I said, I think it's a waste of a good leg, a good foot to cut it off. I think I need a second opinion. He said, well, we could try putting a rod in there and see what happens. Two and a half months later, I'm riding my motorcycle with my crutches strapped to the back. And I'm driving my stick shift car. The guy is a pessimist, but he's a great surgeon. Because mm-hmm. my leg grew back. So you've got a ton of metal? And no, i got a little rod. To do. I don't know how big it is because it doesn't set off the alarms at the airport. Mm. Wow. I know. He went from taking your leg off. Yes. To two and a half months later, you're on a bike again. Yes. <laughs> what? Oh, jeez. Did you ever get a second opinion? or No. You just I just negotiated with him. By threatening to... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had an appendectomy last week. I should have had you there to negotiate. They could have uh, They could have somehow done it without... No, no, that, no, you can't negotiate their skill. And like I said, I didn't. I wouldn't go back to him, but he was a, he did a great job. Yeah. And I wouldn't want to disparage him in any way, but he did, he didn't, either didn't like me or he didn't like motorcycles, maybe. Mm. Some doctors don't like motorcycles and they, you know, they look disparaging down at you for driving a motorcycle or parts donor bike or whatever they call it. Yeah. Well, I would have thought, you know, 27 screws and whatever. No. Three or four screws, titanium, and I did break one pushing on my clutch pedal. But it, really? it it just grows in like like you know putting a screw in a tree, just under normal under a normal riding condition. You broke a titanium screw in your leg, yeah. your foot. So did that hurt? No, no <laughs> didn't never hurt. felt it. How did you know it was broken? Because uh, subsequent X-rays. Really? Mm-hmm. Huh. Yeah, I had to see if if the bones were growing back, and sure as hell they did. How they do that? I mean, there's all these little fragments. He actually said I stopped counting at 33. He said I don't know how many pieces there are. But they aligned themselves. And I actually have a fibula and a tibia. Yeah. How the hell does a body do that? Yeah. Is it all lower leg or femur too? No, no, just that lower, lower area. Leg. Just three inches above the ankle. Yeah. No damage to the ankle. So, oh, so all of the damage was concentrated in a single... That's a smushed spot. I think my spot. foot peg bracket, I fell on it and it just broke it. It just smushed everything in there. Well, Frank, this has been amazing. We've got, uh, I don't know, an hour and a half or something. That's probably enough, isn't it? Uh, I, I would love to interview you again about your next adventure. Whatever. What's your next one? Well, this past year, uh, we uh, went to Vienna, uh, met up with – I have a bike in the Czech Republic in Bruno. So my friend and I and my wife, we rode through Austria, Slovenia, um, Croatia, Montenegro, um, Herzegovina, and we took a, a ferry over to Bari, Italy, and we rode up through the Dolomites, the Stelvio Pass, back through Austria, and that was about a 6,000-kilometer ride. So we said, you know, this was fun. Let's do it again. So in May, May 10 through May 12, there's a bunch of us, seven of us, are going to uh, go to Vienna, rent bikes from a, friend, uh, a dealer that Milos is a friend with, and we're going to be touring... Um, we're going to go to Prague, have have lunch in Prague, and then go over to Baden-Baden, Germany, pick up another guy that, that used to live here. And we're going to ride into Spain and ride the coast up uh, uh, southern France, Italy, 
back to the Salvial Pass, and that's another 6,000-some kilometer ride. 2016, right? 2016. Yeah, that's awesome. How many trips in advance do you plan? Is that the, the one big one you've got? No. you got a bunch of them coming up? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, I want to interview you after each of these uh, crazy things. If that works for you. If so. it works for you, it's been, time, it's been fun reliving some of this. <laughs> yeah, well, thank you so much for your time. This has been amazing. And, uh, and uh, yeah, I look forward to, to speaking to you again. And one of these days I'm going to man up and uh, actually do some adventure riding, maybe. <laughs> it's not that tough. <laughs> yeah. I like my bones the way they are. <laughs> you could get hurt, you know, walking to your car on a slippery day. It's true. It's true. <laughs> and then that's all wasted. I mean, there's no adventure to that. Right. That you can talk about. <laughs> well, thanks again, Frank. I really appreciate it. It's been fun, Jay. <laughs>